Welcome to this Uvula Audio presentation of Stories That Never Grow Old, edited by Wadi Piper. Volume 2. All Uvula Audio stories are in the public domain. The Boy Who Cried Wolf Many years ago, in a beautiful valley in Montana, a poor farmer had built his house. His most valued possession was a flock of sheep. They would give wool for clothing and meat for the table, and the farmer guarded them carefully day and night. Often he took his young son to the pasture where the sheep grazed. The boy loved to go with his father. He liked to play with the lambs and eat the bread and cheese under a tree at noon. When he was thirsty, he drank from a stream that ran through the meadows. One day his father taught him how to carve a pipe from a willow twig and play little tunes on it. Years went by, and one day the farmer said to his son, You are old enough to guard the sheep now. There's other work about the farm that I should do. Go with them to the pasture and guard them as I have taught you to do. At first, the young shepherd enjoyed taking care of the flock. He kept the lambs from straying and found new meadows when the sheep had eaten all the grass in the field. To amuse himself, he made up little tunes to play on his pipe. After a while, though, he began to find the work tiresome. Here I am, he grumbled to himself, with only a lot of stupid animals for company. I'd like to hear the sound of a human voice once in a while. All I hear is that silly bleating of the flock of sheep. Bye, bye, bye. So he complained to his father. I'm tired of spending all my time with a flock of stupid sheep. I'm sorry, son, the father replied but there is no one else to send. For many years I've watched the flock, but now there's other work that needs to be done around the ranch. In a few years, your brother will be old enough to act as shepherd. For the present, though, there is nobody but you whom I can trust to guard those sheep. The boy felt ashamed. He knew how hard his father had worked to give his family enough to eat, so he tried hard to take an interest in the sheep, and for a time he was content. And then he began to feel sorry for himself again. No one has ever led such a stupid life as mine, he thought. I wish a wolf would come down from the forest. That, at least, would give me a little excitement. Then an idea came into his head. The people in the town can hear me if I shout, he said to himself, and raising his voice, he shouted, Help! Help! Wolf! Wolf! And the townspeople came running with their guns and their knives, but when they reached the pasture, of course, there was no wolf. The boy told him that the wolf had run back into the forest. Some of the men doubted him, but a few felt sorry for the boy and stayed with him for the rest of the day. A few days later, he decided to try the same trick again. Help! Help! Wolf! Wolf! He shouted, and again the townspeople came to his aid. This time, however... The few who had been so friendly before were suspicious when they found that there was no wolf. If there had been a wolf here, said the mayor of the town, there would be some tracks of his paws in the soft earth beside the stream. 
The boy pointed out some tracks, but the mayor said they had been made by a sheep, not by a wolf. No one stayed with the young shepherd this time, and as they went back to their work, the townspeople were very angry. I believe that boy is a liar, said one. I'm sure of it, said another. If he calls again, said the mayor, let's not pay any attention to him. A few days later, a wolf really did come from the forest and dashed into the middle of the flock. Help! Help! The young shepherd shouted in terror, for he had nothing but a shepherd's crook as a weapon, and he knew he could not overcome a huge, fierce wolf with that. The townspeople, however, paid no attention to him and continued with their work. The boy started to run toward them, shouting all the way. When he came to the town, he found the mayor standing in the doorway of his house. Why didn't you come when I shouted? The boy demanded. A big hungry wolf came and killed several of my lambs. I'm sorry to hear that, the mayor replied. But you have deceived us twice, and we thought you were deceiving us again. If you want people to help you when you're in trouble, you have to call for help only when you really need it. Nobody believes a liar, even when he speaks the truth. The Story of the Billy Goat Gruff Once there were three billy goats who lived in a valley. They were nearly always hungry because they had eaten up all the good grass. Let us go up into the hills, said the smallest. I have heard that the grass there is long and thick and juicy. A good idea, agreed the middle-sized girl. We need to get some fat on our bones before winter comes. You two go ahead, said Billy Goat Gruff, who was the largest of the three. There is just a little patch of grass here I had to finish off. Then I will come. To reach the hills, the Billy Goats had to cross a bridge over a roaring torrent. An ugly troll made his home under that bridge. His nose was so long that it stuck out a foot before his face, and then he had great big red eyes. The smallest billy goat walked daintily uphill and started across the bridge. Trippity trip, trippity trip, clicked his little hooves on the planks. Who's crossing my bridge? roared the troll, poking his ugly long nose up over the edge. I am the smallest of the billy goats, said the little goat. I'm coming up to catch you screamed the troll. I don't allow billy goats on my bridge. You will make a good supper for me. Oh, please don't catch me, begged the little goat. I am so thin, I would hardly make a mouthful for you. Wait for my brother, who is just behind. He is much bigger than I am. Very well, be off with you, shouted the troll. And the smallest of the billy goats scampered across the bridge and up into the hills. In a little while, the middle-sized billy goat came to the bridge. Trappity trap, trappity trap, clapped his hooves on the planks. Who's crossing my bridge? shouted the troll, poking his ugly nose up. I am the middle-sized billy goat, replied the goat. I am going up into the hills to get fat. Oh, no, you're not, roared the troll. You're going to make a good supper for me. I'm coming up to catch you now. Please don't catch me begged the middle-sized goat. Wait for my brother, Billy Goat Gruff. He is much bigger than I am. Very well, grumbled the troll. But don't come back over my bridge again. The middle-sized goat scampered across and was soon in the hills with his little brother. 
Pretty soon, Billy Goatcraft came along and started across the bridge. Choppity chop, choppity chop. He clopped his feet on the planks. Who's that crossing my bridge? shouted the troll, poking up his long, ugly nose. I am Billy Goatcraft, shouted the largest of the goats, and it isn't your bridge. Yes, it is, shouted the troll louder than ever. And I don't allow Billy Goats to cross it. I'm coming up to catch you. You'll make a fine supper for me. He scrambled up onto the bridge and made a rush at Billy Goat Gruff, but he had forgotten the sharp horns that Billy Goats carry on their heads. Who can play at this game? shouted Billy Goat Gruff. With his sharp horns, he rushed the troll so fiercely that he butted him right off the bridge and onto the rocks below. A bridge belongs to anyone who wants to cross it, he called down. No troll can stop Billy Goat Gruff. Soon he was with his brothers eating the thick, juicy grass at the top of the hill. We have plenty of fat to keep us warm through the winter, said the middle-sized goat a few weeks later. It's time we were going back down to the valley again. I hope the troll isn't under the bridge, said the smallest of the goats, beginning to tremble. If he is, said Billy Goat Gruff, I'll butt him off under the rocks again. But when they came to the bridge, there was no sign of any troll, and one by one they crossed into the valley. Trippity trip, trappity trap, trappity trap, went their hooves on the planks. No troll who ever lived could keep me from crossing a bridge, said Billy Goat Gruff. Soon the smallest Billy Goat, the middle-sized Billy Goat, and Billy Goat Gruff were home in the nice shed Farmer Brown had built for them to spend the nights during the winter. The Story of the Pied Piper of Hamlin Many, many years ago in the city of Hamlin, the people were having a dreadful time. Every house in the town was full of rats. Large rats, small rats, old rats, young rats, they were everywhere. They fought with the dogs and killed the cats. They hid under beds and danced on chairs. They jumped on tables and took the food from plates. And at night they made such a shrieking and a squeaking that no one could get a wink of sleep. The people became very angry because the mayor could not get rid of these pests. They went to the town hall, where he was sitting with his councillors. "'What are you going to do about these rats?' they asked. "'What can I do?' the mayor replied. "'We've tried everything that has ever been heard of, but nothing seems to have any effect.' "'You better try again, Mr. Mayor.' warned the citizens. Or we'll find a mayor who can do something. Oh dear me, exclaimed the mayor to his councillors after the angry citizens had left. My nerves are all unstrung trying to find a way of getting rid of the rats. As he finished speaking, there was a knock at the door. The mayor jumped. Dear me, he said. What's that? Anything that sounds like a rat makes my heart jump. The knock came again. Come in called the mayor, and in came the strangest-looking man anyone in the room had ever seen. He was tall and thin. He had sharp blue eyes and light hair, but very dark skin. One half of his long cloak was yellow, and the other half red. As he walked over to the table where the mayor and his councillors were sitting, they saw he was smiling, and that his fingers were playing with a pipe that hung from a red and yellow scarf, which he wore around his neck. "'Please, your honours,' he said. I am known as the Pied Piper. I have a charm by which I can make any living creature follow me. If I rid your city of the rats which plague you, 
Will you pay me a thousand pounds? A thousand pounds? We'll gladly pay you fifty thousand, said the mayor. All I want is a thousand pounds, the piper replied. Agreed, said the mayor. Then the Pied Piper stepped into the street and raised his pipe to his lips. For a moment he stood there smiling. Then he began to play, walking slowly down the street toward the river. He had not blown more than three musical notes, when there was a squeaking and a rumbling as rats came tumbling from every house. Large rats and small rats, thin rats and fat rats, old rats, young rats, brown rats, grey rats and black rats. They ran, pushing and squealing and dancing behind the Pied Piper. He went slowly along the street, and at every corner fresh crowds of rats joined his procession. The music he played was a magic call that made them forget everything else, and when he came to the river bank, they dashed by him into the water and disappeared. When the people of Hamlin saw the last rat's tail sink beneath the waves, they gathered in the marketplace and shouted and cheered and rang the church bells joyously. The Pied Piper approached the mayor and said, I have rid your city of every rat. Please pay me my thousand pounds. A thousand pounds? The mayor exclaimed. That's an outrageous sum for piping little tune. I'll give you fifty. That pays you pretty well for your work, eh? The blue eyes of the piper gleamed. You promised a thousand. I'm in a hurry. Don't delay me. If you make me angry, you will regret it. You will not like it when I am angry. The mayor's face grew red with rage. Is that the way to speak to the mayor of Hamlin? He sputtered. I'll give you fifty quid. Take it and be off. I'll go without being pay. You'll get no thousand pounds from us. The angry piper stepped back into the middle of the street. Again, he lifted his pipe to his lips. Before he had blown three soft notes, the people of Hamlin heard the sound of children's feet coming from all directions. Little boys and girls, they danced and skipped and clapped their hands in joy as they followed the Pied Piper and his magic music. The mayor and his councillors were struck dumb with surprise, and all the fathers and mothers stood as though they were turned to stone. Down the street toward the river the Piper went, and the children followed. Was he going to drown them as he had drowned the rats? Everyone watched breathless. But when he came to the river bank, he turned to the west and went toward a mountain that stood near the town. Oh, now they're safe, said the fathers and mothers. When he comes to that high mountain, he'll have to stop. Then the children will just come home again, right? Just before the Pied Piper reached the mountain, however, a magic door opened in its side. The people of the city saw him walk through the doorway, and the happy children danced after him, all except one lame little boy who could not keep up with the procession. As the children passed through the opening, the door closed behind them, and the mountain was just as it had always been. The fathers and mothers ran to the lame little boy to find out what the piper's music had said to the children. The little boy was very sad being left behind. The piper promised us such lovely sights that everyone was glad to follow him, he told them. The music said that he was leading us to a joyous land with our fruits and flowers more wonderful than anyone in this world has ever seen. The sparrows in that country are brighter than the peacocks here, and everyone is happy and well. And just as I thought I should go there and be cured of my lameness, the door closed and I was left outside. Wherever it was, that wonderful land, 
no one in Hamlin ever learned. Years afterwards, travellers told of a country called Transylvania, where there were men and women who were not like anyone else in the world. It was said that these strangers had come up out of the earth, so perhaps they were the children whom the Pied Piper had led from Hamlin. All that we know is that they never returned to their homes, and that that lame little boy never forgot the wonderful things the music of the Pied Piper had promised. The Marriage of Robin Redcrest and the Wren Old Brown Pussycat went for a walk beside the river. There she saw young Robin Redcrest hopping on a briar bush. I'm going away, I'm going away, he sang as he hopped. Where are you going, young Robin Redbreast? I'm going to the king's palace, replied Robin Redbreast, to sing him a song this joyous spring morning. Oh, don't fly so far away from your briar, said old brown pussycat. Fly down here and I'll show you a bonny white ring around my neck. No, no, old brown pussycat, sang Robin Redbreast. You may catch the wee mousey, but you'll not catch me. With these words, young Robin Redbreast flew away from the briar bush. He spread his wings and rose high above the trees. Then he flew toward the north, where he knew the king had his palace. Soon he came to a stone wall that ran around a field. On the wall, Greedy Hawk was sitting. Where are you going, young Robin? called Greedy Hawk. I'm going to the king's palace to sing him a song this joyous spring morning. Young Robin Redbreast sang as he flew over to Greedy Hawk. Come back, dear little Robin, called Greedy Hawk, and I'll show you a bonny feather in my wing. But young Robin replied, No, no, Greedy Hawk, no, no. You may catch the little linnet, but you'll not catch me. He flew on till he came to a high cliff. There Renard the fox was sitting on a flat rock. Where are you going, young Robin? Renard called. I'm going to the king's palace to sing him a song this joyous spring morning. Young Robin replied. Come here, young Robin, sly Renard coaxed. I'll show you an interesting spot on my tail. But young Robin Redbreast said again. No, no, you may deceive the little land, sly Renard, but you'll not deceive me. He flew on till he came to the edge of a meadow where a rippling brook flowed. On the bank of the stream a little boy was sitting. Where are you going, young Robin Redbreast? The boy called. I'm going to the king's palace to sing him a song this joyous spring morning. The robin replied. Don't fly so far, said the boy. Come down and sing your song to me, and I'll give you some crumbs from my bag of lunch. But Robin Redbreast sang as he went on his way. No, no, little boy, no, no. I must hurry along or I'll be late in reaching the king's palace. So he flew on and on until he came to the king's palace. The king and the queen were sitting beside a window, looking out at their fair country. Robin Redbreast flew to the windowsill. He hopped along to one end and looked in at the queen. She was very beautiful and wore a golden crown with three rubies in it. Good morning, your majesty, chirped young Robin Redbreast. Good morning, Robin Redbreast, replied the queen. Robin Redbreast hopped to the other end of the sill and looked in at the king. Good morning, your majesty. He chirped again. Good morning, young Robin Redbreast. The king replied. What brings you to my window sill so early in the morning? I've come to sing you a song this joyous spring day, said young Robin. Then he hopped to the middle of the window sill and sang his joyous song. 
When he had finished, the king said to the queen, I have never heard a more joyous song, have you? No, the queen replied. It fills my heart with happiness. What shall we give young Robin Redbreast for his song? The king asked. Let us give him our little Jenny Wren for his wife, suggested the queen. When Robin Redbreast heard the queen's words, he opened his throat and sang again, and this time his song was even more joyous than at first. Then the king sent out messengers to invite all his subjects to the marriage of Robin Redbreast and Jenny Wren. They came from the four corners of the kingdom, prince and pauper, farmer, blacksmith and learned clerk, and everyone who came was made welcome. The king made a great feast, and there in the palace the marriage took place. After the ceremony, the king and queen led the grand march and everyone danced. Robin Redbreast was so happy that he flew to the windowsill and sang his joyous song again. Then young Robin Redbreast and little Jenny Wren spread their wings and flew away to the briar bush at the side of the river, and there they have made their home ever since. The Little Engine That Could The little train rumbled over the tracks. She was a happy little train, for she had such a jolly load to carry. Her cars were full of good things for boys and girls. There were toy animals, giraffes with long necks, teddy bears with almost no necks at all, and even a baby elephant. Then there were dolls, dolls with blue eyes and yellow curls, dolls with brown eyes and brown bobbed heads, dolls with green eyes and long red hair, and the gayest little toy clown you've ever seen. And there were cars full of toy engines, airplanes, tops, jackknives, picture puzzles, books, and every kind of thing boys or girls could want. But that was not all. No, that was not all. Some of the cars were filled with all sorts of good things for boys and girls to eat. Big golden oranges, red-cheeked apples, bottles of creamy milk for their breakfasts, fresh spinach for their dinners, peppermint drops and lollipops for after-meal treats. The little train was carrying all these good things to the good little boys and girls on the other side of the mountain. She puffed along happily. Then, all of a sudden, she stopped with a jerk. She simply could not go another inch. She tried and she tried, but her wheels wouldn't turn. What were all those good little boys and girls on the other side of the mountain going to do without the jolly toys to play with and the wholesome food to eat? Here comes a shiny new engine, said the little clown who had jumped out of the train. Let's ask him to help us. So all the dolls and toys cried out together, Please, shiny new engine, please carry our train over the mountain. Our engine is broken down, and the boys and girls on the other side of the mountain will have no toys to play with and no wholesome food to eat unless you help us. But the shiny new engine snorted, I pull you. I'm a passenger engine. I've just carried a fine big train over the mountain with more cars than you've ever dreamed of. My train had sleeping cars with comfortable berths. 
a dining car where waiters bring whatever hungry people want to eat, a parlor car in which people sit in soft armchairs and look out of big plate-glass windows. I carry the likes of you? Indeed not. And off he steamed to the roundhouse, where engines live when they're not busy. How sad the little train and all the dolls and toys felt. Then the little clown called out, The passenger engine's not the only one in the world. There's another coming, a big, fine, strong one. Let's ask him to help us. The little toy clown waved his flag, and the big, strong engine came to a stop. Please, oh please, big engine, cried all the dolls and toys together. Please pull our train over the mountain. Our engine is broken down, and the good little boys and girls on the other side will have no toys to play with and no wholesome food to eat unless you help us. But the big, strong engine bellowed, I'm a freight engine. I have just pulled a big train loaded with costly machines over the mountains. These machines print books and newspapers for grown-ups to read. I'm very important. I won't carry the likes of you. And the freight engine puffed off indignantly to the roundhouse. The little train and all the dolls and toys were very sad. Cheer up, cried the little toy clown. The freight engine is not the only one in the world. Here comes another. He looks very old and tired, but our train is so little, maybe he can help us. So the little toy clown waved his flag and the dingy, rusty old engine stopped. Please, kind engine, please pull our train over the mountain. Our engine is broken down, and the boys and girls on the other side will have no toys to play with and no wholesome food to eat unless you help us. But the rusty old engine sighed. I'm so tired. I must rest my weary wheels. I can't pull even so little a train as yours over the mountain. I can't. I can't. I can't. And off he rumbled to the roundhouse, chugging, I can't. I can't. I can't. Then indeed the little train was very, very sad, and the dolls and toys were ready to cry. But the little clown called out, Here comes another engine, a little blue engine, a very little one, but maybe she'll help us. The very little engine came chug-chug-chugging merrily along. When she saw the toy clown's flag, she stopped quickly. "'What's the matter, my friends?' she asked kindly. "'Oh, little blue engine, please pull us over the mountain. Our engine is broken down, and the good boys and girls on the other side will have no toys to play with and no wholesome food to eat unless you help us. Please, please help us, little blue engine.' I'm not very big, said the little blue engine. They use me only for switching in the yard. I've never been over the mountain before. But we must get over the mountain before the children wake up, said all the dolls and toys together. The very little engine looked up and saw tears in the doll's eyes, and she thought of the good little boys and girls on the other side of the mountain who would have no toys and no wholesome food unless she helped. And then she said, I think I can, 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 I think I can. And she hitched herself up to the little train. 
She tugged and pulled and pulled and tugged, and slowly, slowly, slowly they started off. The toy clown jumped aboard, and all the dolls and toy animals began to smile and cheer. I think I can, 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 I think I can. Up, 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 faster and faster and faster. The little engine climbed until at last they reached the very top of the mountain. Down in the valley lay the city. Hooray! Hooray! cried the gay little clown and all the dolls and toys. The good little boys in the city will be happy because you helped us, kind little blue engine. And the little blue engine smiled and seemed to say as she puffed steadily down the mountain, I thought I could, 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 I thought I could. The Lion and the Mouse One evening, a long, long time ago, a lion was asleep in the forest. And a party of mice who lived in the forest saw the king of beasts sleeping. What a huge animal he is! exclaimed the youngest mouse, whose name was Fuzzy Tail. Yes, said his brother Grayskin. And it's only because he's asleep that we dare to be near him. Even when he's asleep, I'm afraid of him, said another mouse. Suppose he should wake up. No danger, said Fuzzy Tail. He's sound asleep and will sleep until the sun rises. I wouldn't be too sure, said Grayskin. It said that all cats sleep with one eye open. Well, you see, this big cat has both of his shut, argued Fuzzytail. I'm going to jump on him. Be careful how you run over him. So long as you play on his back and sides, his fur will keep him from feeling your feet. But keep away from his nose. It's very sensitive, warned Grayskin. Eek, eek, laughed Fuzzytail. Watch me run right over his nose. With a sudden movement, the king of beasts opened his eyes and shook his head. All the mice scampered away as fast as they could. But poor little Fuzzytail was right on his nose. And before he could escape, the lion stretched out one great paw and caught him. <coughs> growled the lion. Oh, great king of beasts, begged the trembling little mouse. Please let me go. The lion growled again. Why should I? Haven't you been told it's dangerous to rouse a sleeping lion? With my paw I could crush you, you silly little animal. Oh, please don't, begged Fuzzytail again. I didn't mean to wake you. I'll never do it again. Well, said the lion, I see that you're very young, so I will spare you this time. And lifting his huge paw, he allowed the trembling little mouse to run into the forest. After that, Fuzzy Tail and his friends played far away from the sleeping lion. But one evening, as they came out of the forest, he was not asleep as usual. He was rolling around and roaring so that the whole forest echoed. What's he roaring at? They asked one another. I'm going to see, said Fuzzy Tail. The others begged him not to go, but the little mouse was determined. He set me free when he could have crushed me, said Fuzzy Tail. Now he's in trouble. I'm going to go help him if I can. As he came close, he saw the king of beasts tangled up in the meshes of a net that hunters had spread for him. And the more he rolled and roared about, the more entangled he became. 
Suddenly, the lion heard a little voice close to his ear. He stopped his roaring and listened, and the voice came again. I'm the mouse you freed, it said. If you will just lie still, I'll gnaw the ropes that hold you. The huge lion lay still, and Fuzzy Tail gnawed at one rope after another with his sharp little teeth. At length, the meshes of the net fell away, and the lion sprang to his feet. Thank you, little brother, he said. I did not know that my deed of kindness would bring such a great reward. The End This is your narrator, Jim Campanella. We hope that you've enjoyed this Ubula Audio presentation of Stories That Never Grow Old, edited by Wadi Piper. Performance copyright 2011 by Uvula Audio, all rights reserved. The fairy talish opening theme was composed by the Mix 6 Music Library. The closing theme was composed by Valentino Maleni. Both themes can be found on SoundDogs.com. Please feel free to write us and tell us what you think at uvulaaudio at uvulaaudio.com and check out our MySpace page to contact fellow listeners. You can also become a Facebook fan of Uvula Audio. Just do a search for Uvula Audio on Facebook. For other Uvula Audio titles, please go to our website at www.uvulaaudio.com. We are, of course, listed on iTunes, and you can subscribe and download our podcast for free there. If you like our podcasts, please feel free to tip us whatever amount you may like using the secure PayPal links that you find on the website. All money will go toward maintaining the podcast in the future. From all of us at Uvila Audio, we thank you.